Dotnet Rocks, episode 1047, with guest Kate Gregory. Recorded Thursday, October 9th, 2014. Hey, guess what? What? It's time for Dotnet Rocks. I like that a lot. Me too. Well, how you yes. been, man? Uh, well, you remember Humanitarian Toolbox? I do remember Humanitarian Toolbox. Building open source software for disaster relief organizations? Of course. We are a real charity. Yeah, you know, I heard that. It's it, a, what is it, a 501c? A 501c3, yes. We got the paperwork from the IRS just a week or so ago, and uh, we can do tax receipts and everything. You know, we're a real boy. So, wait, wait a minute. Is that the Canadian IRS or the U.S.? It's actually an American charity. We're going to have okay. to do some additional stuff for Canadians, although there's some tax treaty rules and things. But, you know, for the most part, this started in the U.S. I may be a Canadian, but still. And uh, we will spread it around further. But at the moment, it is a U.S. charity. That's really awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm amazed that it's happened as quickly as it has. It only took a year. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, so, uh, and I'm working hard on getting the Donate Now button working on htbox.org. We're not quite there yet. Maybe by the time the show's up, it'll be there. But, uh, yeah, you know, all those things need to work now. It'll be like Save Toby all over again. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's a blast from the past. There you go, yes. Hey, let's roll that crazy... I'm going to open source eating a rabbit. <laughs> hey, let's roll that crazy music. All right. Okay, buddy, what do you got? All right, I'm going to let uh, Kate chime in here, too, because i got a, a feeling that she won't be able to keep the groans in when I tell you to go to <laughs> tinyurl.com slash cppjokes. Uh-oh. That's right, C++ jokes. Uh, and some of these are bad, and some of them are pretty good, like this one. When your hammer is C++, everything begins to look like a thumb. <laughs> 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 like your like your foot, yeah. I always say. Yes. <laughs> it is your foot. And there's uh some really good ones here, like the programmer's quick guide to the languages, the proliferation of modern programming languages, all of which have seemed to have stolen countless features from one another, sometimes makes it difficult to remember what language you're currently using. And Keep in mind, folks, this is old, all right? We won't have any uh, Ruby, I don't think, on this. But <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's pretty good. But Visual Basic actually makes it. So so these are all uh, variations on, as Kate says, shooting yourself in the foot. So in C, you shoot yourself in the foot. In C++, you accidentally create a dozen instances of yourself and shoot them all in the foot. Providing emergency <laughs> medical assistance is impossible since you can't tell which are bitwise copies and which are just pointing at others and saying, that's me over there. <laughs> uh, Pascal, the compiler won't let you shoot yourself in the foot. That's not so funny, but I like this. Uh, fourth, foot in yourself shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and here's lisp you shoot yourself in the appendage which holds the gun which you shoot yourself in the appendage which holds the gun in which you shoot yourself in the appendage which holds the gun with which you shoot yourself in the appendage which holds the gun with which you shoot yourself in the appendage which holds the gun with which you shoot yourself and <laughs> uh, basic shoot yourself in the foot with a water pistol on large systems continue until entire lower body is waterlogged nice and Visual Basic, you really only 
appear to have shot yourself in the foot, but you will have had so much fun doing it, you won't care. (laughs) (laughs) How about this one, Richard? Here's for you. Access. You try to point the gun at your foot, but it shoots holes in all your Borland distribution diskettes instead. (laughs) Oh, my God. Hours and hours of fun there. These are so so old. Uh, They are, aren't they? Revelation? Good Lord. I haven't worked in that in ages. I didn't even know what that was. Oh, I thought that database. was a book of the Bible. I don't want to talk about it. It makes me sad. All right. Well, anyway, uh, Richard, who's talking to us? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 695. So I've dipped back a little here. This is the show we did with Kate uh, back in 2011. We talked about uh, wow. C++ C and C++ and the new version, the AutX edition. And Ar- Arnon Axelrod wrote this great comment way back then that I've always meant to read. It's a long, it's lengthy, but worth it, because it's thoughtful. Uh, Carl and Richard, I'm a big fan of the show. It really helps me keep up to date like no other way could, and in a fun and entertaining way. And I share your passion for technology and also to music like Carl, but not as professionally as you. So keep up the great work. A uh, hmm. few things I wanted to share about the show, and I'm afraid I'm going to forget later. And that's good, because you would have forgotten by now. It's three years ago. Uh, <laughs> First off, the uh, comparison between smart pointers and garbage collection. It is important to mention that smart pointers, or any way that uses reference counting, are less safe than garbage collection and can still cause memory leaks if you have cyclic references between objects. Yes, indeed. I remember. You're making me sad. Uh, The simplest example is an object that points to itself, so it will always have a reference count of at least one, so if no other pointer points to it. It is more common, though, that a container object points to its children. The children point back to the container, and if you don't empty the container before releasing the smart pointer to the container, then the container and all its children will stay orphaned in memory. Can you s- read that a little faster? Because I'm not. Because I'm, it's. Uh, I'm, getting I'm trying a to get through it quickly so I don't shoot myself. <laughs> right. This is like my whole existence of why web servers need to be rebooted every four hours. Right. Right. Because you got these lost <laughs> references to objects that never go away. We call that a memory leak. Yeah. And then right? you shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, over and over and over again. Uh, here's a fun one. You all claim that performance matters, and I really like that we recently did a performance show around .NET as well uh, in relation to this particular point, that C++ is better than C Sharp. While I believe that in general this is true, I think it deserves a deeper look. There's no doubt that you can make better optimizations in C++ simply because it allows more low-level control, but often optimizations, whether in C++ or any other language, are in conflict with abstraction, readability, and maintainability. So if you're talking about the new features of the standard library of C++11, which makes the code more readable and abstract, then you're actually making it more like C-sharp code, possibly also with more performance. Richard always says that premature optimizations are worthless, and this is also true for C++. On another note, I remember back when C++ was THE language, it was compared to assembler with regard to performance. The same claims were made, yet back when C++ was the slow language. On the other hand, I remember an interesting claim made by C++ fans that it is the compiler that can make great optimizations to generated machine code, which is impractical to do when writing assembler by hand. I believe that in some ways this is also true for .NET because the same basic rule applies. The more that you raise the level of abstraction, the underlying framework knows more about your intent and has more freedom to make optimizations based around it. And that being said, I still believe that C++ is faster. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. And one last point from so, Arnon here. Regarding the comparison between C++ templates and .NET generics, while it is true that .NET resolves generics at runtime, its cost is only the first time you reference a generic class with a concrete type parameter. In addition, for all reference types, .NET uses same class instance. However, there is another benefit of templates on generics. Template parameters are not restricted to types. You can also use constants in them, which in some cases is very practical. All right, I'll buy that. I've not had to use templates in C++ because, let's face it, I don't spend any time in C++ at all. But uh, Kate I, does, and I'm sure she'll chime in here. I'm sure she'll read on to that. Arnon, thanks so much for your comment. It's been sitting there for three years. Know, I've Kate. always wanted to read it. This seemed like the perfect opportunity, and I'm sure Kate will jump all over it. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or in any of our mobile apps because we've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And I know she's ready to jump on that. It's Kate Gregory. She's been using C++ since before Microsoft had a C++ compiler. Wow. Actually, that's amazing. And has been paid to program since 1979. She loves C++ and believes that software should make our lives easier. That includes making the lives of developers easier. She'll stay up late arguing about deterministic destruction or how C++ 11 is not the C++ you remember. Kate runs a small consulting firm in rural Ontario and provides mentoring and management consultant services, as well as writing code every week. She has spoken all over the world, written a dozen books or more, and helped thousands of developers to be better at what they do. Kate is also a Microsoft Regional Director, a Visual C++ MVP, an Imagine Cup judge and mentor, and an active contributor to Stack Overflow and other Stack Exchange sites. She develops courses for Pluralsight, primarily on C++ and Visual Studio. In 2014, she was Open Content Chair for CPPCon, the largest C++ conference ever held, where she also delivered sessions. Welcome back, Miss Kate. Great to be here, as always. Okay. Now I, I she love was that going, comment. Ah, dip, but, what? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you probably couldn't hear that she was doing that the whole time you were reading that, Richard. It's three years uh, ago. But it still so, seemed terribly all, applicable. Let me summarize that comment. Skills matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. They yeah. Do. If, you know, if you just blindly say, we're not going to have any more pointers in this world, we're only going to have smart pointers, then you might create cyclic references, which would be stupid. Right. And if you say that there is a difference between an owning pointer that controls lifetime and a non-owning pointer that's for observing, like, oh, I need to be able to find my container so I can tell it something about myself, that can still be a raw pointer. That doesn't have to be a smart pointer, and you don't have to create this uh, smart pointer cyclic reference thing. And it's been three years, and we're still working on this guidance. You know, right. the, the conference that I was just at in September, where Herb Sutter did the closing keynote saying, what's our guidance about? How do you pass stuff? How do you take stuff? How do you know whether to use a raw pointer or a smart pointer? We're still shaking it out. And one of the cool things about that conference was pulling together the people who deliver that guidance to the masses and having them argue amongst themselves because they haven't decided yet. Wow. We're still working on it. Yeah. So did you do this as a panel discussion? There was some panel discussion. I believe there were some adult beverages later as well. <laughs> um, and there was As usual, some of the best debates happen in the bar. Absolutely. And there was a lot of hallway conversations, a lot, between people of all different levels. And, and it was a wonderful thing because most of the, the folks who do this work, they don't write, you know, a CRUD application, some forms over data thing, 
when they go home from the conference. You know, they, they write guidance and um, standards and documents, and they need to spend some time with people who write, you know, all different kinds of applications. And that's what this conference pulled together. So you had people who wrote video games who really care about things like perf and memory footprint. The guy trying to drive the rover on Mars who really cares about perf and memory footprint <laughs> in a way that is hard for the rest of us to get. And, pe- and people and writing... ability to automatically recover and... Uh, yes. Yeah. Like his, his ex- explanation of why he didn't want exceptions was, you know, incredibly cogent, not necessarily relevant to the rest of us, but... Right. Um, There's really C++ nobody to click of- okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this sets C++ apart. Because most other languages, you know what they're used for. Right. Like, what's Objective-C for? Writing code it's for It's not iPhones. for writing server apps, right? Right? Like, it's <laughs> only for one thing. And JavaScript is starting to be a language that's everywhere, but C++ has that just huge spread. And so you've got, like, financial apps with, you know, giant amounts of data, and, and they need near, near real-time performance because they're trying to maybe simulate the market in time to take action in the market. You got graphics apps, you got servers, you got stuff that's in phones. It's, uh, there's no assumption you can make about the platform that that C++ code is headed for. And so it's really hard to write guidance that works for everyone. It's really the general purpose language. Yeah, it really is. And so the perf issue is, you're right, premature optimization is the root of all evil. And <laughs> picking a language because that'll give you better perf is is a... About as premature as an optimization as you can perform, really. (laughs) (laughs) That's an awesome line. I'm stealing that one. That's awesome. That is such a good point. So if you really want to hone your ESP, that's the way to do it. That's right. I haven't haven't written a single line of code yet, but I know that I need to do this in C++. Right. Right. However, that that said, like I got a call just this week from someone who's working uh, against low memory phones and who wants to be able to push the .NET framework out of the picture. And do it in all native code because he's having problems fitting into the memory. Right. Now, that's legit. That's, I, I have no problem with that. And you're uh, seeking responsibility you want, for memory yourself. Yes, it does. And it means, it means those trade-offs, they can be real. Sometimes there's tricks. Like in C++11, we brought in the idea of move semantics. Mood and that made the library. Semantic. Did you say mood? Move. Oh, move. No, move. move semantics. Okay. If I was like a As ring. As opposed to copy. Gotcha. Right. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good, actually. Your Mood code semantics. can let you know how it's feeling. <laughs> that is so not... Yeah, most time a feeling out of memory. That is so not C++. Yeah. It's not even funny. I don't know why it made me think that. <laughs> so if you, if you look at uh, the standard library class string, which is how normal sane humans now do any kind of string manipulation, we don't use arrays of characters. But there is an array of character in a string, and it's out on the heap somewhere. And when you want to make a string longer, for example, in the old days, what they code would do is allocate a bigger character array and then copy all the characters over and so on. And if you needed to pass a string to another function, it would make a copy and then copy it all over. And in C++11, we got this idea of move semantics where if something's going away anyway, we could just steal it. And so if I had a string object with a pointer to somewhere on the heap and I needed to, quote, make a copy, unquote, but the thing I was copying was actually disappearing, you could just say, screw it, here's the pointer, use that memory from before. Huh. And of course, the savings, the savings in time is like, it could be astonishing. If that's 10,000 characters, that's a huge savings in time to just say, ah, here's the pointer. 
more importantly, the time is consistent as the object gets bigger. That's right. So move semantics, super powerful, and it's actually made the standard library functions faster, even if you change nothing in your code. So the wow. standard library is like your .NET framework in unmanaged code, right? I mean, it's sort of just like... It, yes. Yeah. The you nice can little, count on it? Yeah. Every single compiler vendor, and that's kind of the weird thing about C++ in this universe, is there's multiple compiler vendors for the same language. Yeah. They have to implement the standard library using the specifications of the standard, which says what it takes and what it gets back, and also some stuff about its performance characteristics. And, you know, as soon as you speak like this, and the whole setup here is the language most like C++ today seems to be JavaScript. <laughs> That's crazy talk. Because <laughs> it has multiple <laughs> compilers. It's being used in ways you just never thought of now, and some, in some cases, wish you hadn't. It's, you know, who was it that said JavaScript is the assembly language of the web? I think that was Scott Hanselman. Oh, actually. I know that quote. <laughs> Either Scott Hanselman, Hanselman or Jeff App. I think Hanselman was quoting somebody else, but I but I agree that. But wow, are we really going there? JavaScript is like C plus <laughs> plus. Well, How, do you know what the, else you can compile C plus plus to JavaScript? What's the joke for shooting yourself in the foot? How about this? Yeah, it, the uh, the uh, shooting yourself in the foot goes like this. Ready? Nothing happened. You know why? Because I misspelled something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. The compiler is your friend. Mm. You want a compiler. That's why. Yeah. And nothing's still happening. So we must be using <laughs> JavaScript. Must be. Yeah. So the thing, with the, the thing with the performance issue is it is true that in general, when you want to get better perf, you can do amazing things with C++ if you have the skill for it. So companies with a lot of money have written the same app in multiple languages. And sometimes the C++ version is faster and sometimes it's not. But in every case, the C++ version can be made faster. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, I think the same rule applies that fa faster code tends to be more difficult. This is certainly true in .NET. When I go and optimize uh, an ASP.NET web page, the code I write is more difficult to read than the code that was there before. Yes. And you know, the only difference like, is uh, I have lit literally almost n I have very low risk of causing the machine to reboot with my optimized code. <laughs> I'll grant you that. Uh, when I was working on the C AMP book with Aid Miller, he did the perf work for the performance chapter. Mm -hmm. And he would do things like, okay, I have an array of structs here that I'm manipulating. And, um, what if I made that a struct of arrays instead so that all of the position data was contiguous in memory and all of the velocity data was contiguous in memory instead of having a struct of position, velocity, position, velocity, position, velocity. And then he'd make it like 30% faster by doing that. Right. I mean, that's him deeply understanding how C++ maps your data in memory so that he can uh, manipulate it mathematically now instead of having to count all the pointers. Well, in many cases, the m manipulations pointer-wise are exactly the same, but you're taking advantage of hardware knowledge. Right. So there's this thing called the prefetcher. So when you ask for a particular memory address, it actually goes and gets that plus a bunch after it. And if you um, access memory contiguously, 
then whatever you want has already already been prefetched when you want it and you never have to wait. And if you access memory higgledy-piggledy, you sometimes have to wait. Right. And so the code might look identical, but the, uh, the performance is like down to the hardware level, thing, knowing how big your cache lines are, that kind of stuff. And it's a little crazy making, but the measurements are undeniable. If you need to squeeze those last few drops of performance out, that's the sort of stuff you start doing. I mean, now you're also creating performance dependencies on a particular hardware configuration. You use a different processor with a different cache configuration. You may not get the same results. That's right. I mean, it's always going to be better to access contiguous memory than higgledy-piggledy memory. Right. But the size of the effect or how far in advance stuff gets prefetched or how big the structures can be and still see this effect is going to be hardware dependent. Where is the higgledy-piggledy And since piggledy we don't heap? know where we're going. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's an important technical term. <laughs> you are talking about heap memory, though. Just yeah, random allocation. It could be the heap. Yeah. So the difference, for example, between a linked list and an, and an array or a vector. Yeah. Right? In an in array or vector, they're all next to each other in memory, and you can just go plus plus to get to the next one. And in a linked list, you have to pay for an indirection to go look up where on the heap it is. But that's not potentially as much of an issue as the fact that it wasn't prefetched. So it's, you know, a thousand addresses away and now you have to wait while that memory gets brought in to be played with. Whereas if they're contiguous, you basically, uh, the prefetch stays ahead of you and you can just process as fast as you want and be CPU bound rather than be memory bound. Mm -hmm. So it's the kind of thing that I thought we didn't have to care about anymore. Yeah. Because we're not writing in assembly. No. And if you... If You'd really, you really wish you could write an assembly, though, right? No. <laughs> no, don't C++ I like my for, life. No? No, if you no, want something I'm, scary, you look at what you have to do for memory management at the assembly level Oh, today. I know. I've done it. I, I've actually done it in Windows, believe it or not. I, I don't want to do that sort of thing. I, know, I, you know, I don't I'm quite happy, though, to, to know that, that these wizards exist. So one of the talks at C++Con, CppCon, was about Facebook's insane optimization level because if they can get like a quarter of a percent speed up, it's more than a developer's salary or some such ridiculous number. Right. Because of their power, their power, their, their electricity bill. And so he's doing things like, well, why are you comparing this number to one and then deciding whether to decrement it or not? Uh, let's just always decrement it and then compare it to zero because comparing to zero is cheaper. Wow. Zero is a special number. Yeah. <laughs> and because that's a measurable, a cost measurable performance improvement. Yes. That's, yeah. that's the hard part. Is we're now running at such a scale that I can measure the, the kilowatts of energy I saved by decrementing my one and checking for zero versus checking for one and then decrementing to zero. You know how an enum is an int underneath the covers? Yeah. Right. So you've got like, okay, fail out of memory, fail access denied, whatever, or you've got heart spades clubs. I don't care what your enum <laughs> is. One of them is zero. Right. Right? He cares which one. The one that is used the most or that is compared against the most should be numerically zero because comparing against zero, setting to zero, those are the cheapest possible operations because you can set something to zero with two XORs. Anything else, you have to do a load and store. And so he'll pick not 
the logical, like we have one success and 10 fails, so success will be zero. But mostly it's this, okay, that guy gets to be zero. And there's a perf benefit, a measurable perf benefit from that choice. Wow. It's insane. But overall, those the, the favoritism of a given constant could change over time. Does that actually justify yep. reorganizing the constants? Well, because, you know, it doesn't break your code. You just need to recompile. Right. right? Just reorganize the enum a bit. And so uh, if, you're, if you're Facebook, now how many of us are Facebook? No, just them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so some of these things aren't general purpose advice, but it's cool to think that they're there and that as C++ programmers, if you need that kind of control, you can take it. Right. Maybe yeah, maybe you, you, you only kid yourself that you'll ever need it, but it is there for you. Yeah, and again, it's you know you you painted a bunch of interesting scenarios around this. None of none of which are CRUD apps, right, or line of business apps no. at all. They've been restricted hardware, long range hardware, you know, memory constraints, processor resource constraints, or epic epic scale. Yes, and you don't need to worry about those things when you're writing a photo album or a time tracker or right. a thing to see if you've used all your sick days this year. I get that. And so you can go ahead and write things kind of the naive and easy way, the readable way. And, you know, we've talked before about how modern C++ looks more like C sharp than what everybody remembers. Right. You know, I, I have this uh, trick uh, presentation where I show some really gross, it's not even C++, it's C. And I chose it for being gross. It's full of pointer manipulations and, and using STR functions. It's horrible. Is it readable? No. No, it, it took me forever no. to read it, right? So I throw it up and we all laugh and we all mock it. And then I go to the next slide, which has got something that everyone thinks is C sharp. Is it worse than Perl? No, Perl's a write-only language. That's what I thought, too. You know, <laughs> I, I can't, can't be worse than Perl. Same as APL. You ever read APL? Yeah. Yeah, that's the right only language for sure. No, but it's gross. Then I put something else up and everyone's like, yeah, that's good. And I'm like, so you think this is C sharp, but it's C++. Nice. You know, because we have sensible constructs that we can use from the standard library and elsewhere. We don't have to write that gross stuff. Yeah, if you ignore the differences in the parentheses or angle brackets or braces, they, bonk, they can be looking very similar. Very similar, unless I get into lambdas, and then you'll be like, hey, what's all this excess punctuation going on here? <laughs> but you'll, you'll read it. It makes sense, you know? And part of the modern C++ trend is to stop doing everything yourself, which is hard. Uh, my, you know, I think I've shown you guys my canoe before, which I built. And yes, my yes. joke is, why did, it, why did it take the C++ programmer so long to make the canoe? Well, they had to wait for the tree to grow. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, uh, I didn't do that. I bought the wood from a store. Right. Um, and then I built a beautiful canoe out of it. But C++ people, you know, we we're like, I'll be right back. I'm just going to write a JSON parser. Yeah, right? exactly. Because no one's ever parsed of, JSON before. Right. It's yeah. not about doing using someone else's code. It's about being able to write it yourself. And mine will be better. I am proud warrior. All those, all those other guys aren't me, right? So That's they couldn't right, possibly right. have anything decent. Yeah. And you'll pick up all the exception cases, no problem. 
Oh, all those special edge cases? Absolutely. You know, it'll take me 20 minutes to write the first draft and then three weeks to wade through the edge cases, but it'll be fantastic. Yeah. But here's the funny thing. I mean, it's out, you're, you're sort of painting C++ programmers to be pretentious and full of themselves and, you know, are just more not uh, mistrusting of everybody else. But I found that not to be the case with most C++ programmers. They're like the nicest people in the world. Well, so that's the deal. We have this mythos and then we're trying to replace that mythos, a lot of us, by saying, hey, you know what? Uh, put down the, the muscles, no more gun show. How about you just get your job done quickly? And that includes using these libraries. And maybe you could start with the standard library that comes with your compiler, even right. if you're not prepared to go outside of that. So why are you writing your own core code to sort through a vector and find <laughs> something right. when there's a perfectly good find function that you could call? Because I want to understand Yeah. If you want to count how many elements in this collection meet some predicate or another... You can do that in one line of code. Mm. Why are you writing this loop? And this is going to take a while, just like we're still working on the guidance for do you pass by reference, do you mm -hmm. pass by value, do you return by reference, return by value, blah, blah. <laughs> mm -hmm. But grasping when to use other people's code instead of writing everything yourself every time is the real key to productivity. Sure. Yeah. Because clients aren't happy that you spent four hours writing something that was in the standard library that would have taken four apartment. seconds. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> hey Richard. Y yeah, buddy. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to gather up all these higgledy-piggledy bits, stuff them in a bag, <laughs> and shoot them in the hoof. <laughs> you just wanted to say higgledy-piggledy. I again. love that word. That's a good one. Thanks, Kate. You're welcome. It's actually time to give away a Sync Fusion Essential Studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, is your big data strategy causing you headaches? Hmm. Ditch the complicated configuration and jargon. Pump up your development with the only easy-to-use big data solution for Windows. The Sync Fusion Big Data Platform installs quickly and is packed with samples to help you get up and running in 15 minutes or less. Check it out now at SyncFusion.com and start working with big data in under 15 minutes. And even if you aren't working with big data, you can take advantage of over 500 SyncFusion controls to help you build stunning applications. Or you can broaden your skill set with the free ebooks that SyncFusion offers on over 40 topics. Download free trials and ebooks at SyncFusion.com. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Christo Yurison. Congratulations, Christo. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Christo just won the SyncFusion Essential Studio. Big pile of awesome from SyncFusion. Oh, wait a minute. I got the clappers. Nice. You know why I couldn't see him? Brandon's back. And he's uh, and he cleaned he up. He cleans the studio because he <laughs> needs to. Oh. You can't find anything. No, no. It's all labeled. It's just that this was sort of sticking out of a place that normally isn't. That's all. No, no. Everything is labeled in in bins. The back room, Richard, you know, the Studio B? Uh, wait, the storage room? It used to be the storage room. It's now usable space. Weird. Weird, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away or try to give away on every show, something really great from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the fan club. Kate, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Ooh. 
I would probably get everybody in my company the same Surface Pro 3 that I'm using so that we could uh, all have, yeah. You love it or what? We could all have the same fun. I totally love it. When When it's in the docking station, it's better than any desktop I've had. Wow. Better and than any desktop you've had? Really? I wow. just reran my C++ AMP demos. And I, when I wrote the book, I bought a special laptop with a special docking station in which I could put away cool video cards so that I could get the 100 times speed up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it was, I don't know if you ever saw me at a conference, like lugging my docking station so that I'd have my video card for my demos. The Surface Pro 3 has a better video card in it, and I'm getting 200 times speed up on the same demos. Wow. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. And you know what's yeah. funny? Because so, this, the news around the Surface has not been good, or, or at least there are rumors that like Microsoft may be giving up on the line entirely because they haven't sold enough of them. Uh, it's but, such a shame, you know. They do hardware really well. I mean, your favorite keyboard and mouse probably have Microsoft labels on them. Yeah. But it, it's yeah, clearly you know, not the quality of the product. We all agree the product quality is excellent. Yeah. Like, what are they messing up? I yeah, I think people don't believe it can be a desktop replacement. And this docking station was not expensive at all. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've got big screens and, and mice and network connections and all that stuff. And I'm just as productive as I ever was at my desk. And then when I pick it up and walk away, I've left nothing behind. All wow. my You've files and all my apps are still with me. Huh. So That is yeah. awesome. And fully loaded, the i7 is how much? Because I presume you bought the fully loaded one. I did. Fully loaded, biggest hard drive, blah, blah, blah. Was it two something? Two grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. And then the keyboard, right? And uh, now I'm not a pen lover yet. Uh, there's a lot of people who are super pro pen. And the only thing I got to say that I'm using the pen for is as a mouse substitute on the desktop apps that aren't touch aware. Right. And the docking station is 200 bucks. Yeah, you start touching uh, Outlook with your finger, and it's like, hey, you're using your finger, and it moves everything further apart, and that's real clever, but then Word apparently doesn't have that ability, or that's when I get the pen out. But Well, Richard, yeah. did I tell you that I got that NUC put together? You did, huh? Yeah. Are you impressed with it? I'm very impressed. And nice. I, again, I think it was a 512 gig uh, SATA hard drive, 16 gigs of RAM, it's an i5, and uh, you can't even hear it, and it's about four inches square and about yeah. an inch and a half, two inches deep. And it's amazing. Nice. It, it's like the Surface hardware, except not trying to be. It's not a tablet. It's got no screen, no battery. It's just the very integrated chipset in the smallest chassis could possibly fit. It's the smallest p- computer that's usable, you know, that I've ever used. Pretty awesome. Put it on your desk and hide it behind a mug. Yeah, in fact, it comes with the like Richard said on the other show. It comes with a Visa mount, so you can put it on the back of your monitor. You just <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it actually comes with a hundred millimeter Visa mount. So you literally, if you're not if you're using your normal monitor stand, so you just have the mount points for where you could hang it on a wall, you can screw the computer on the back of the screen. It's crazy. And then there's your <laughs> well, docking station, great. right? You just plug it in. Yeah, it's pure genius. Yeah. But it I am super frustrated with how good the Surface Three is and how poorly Microsoft is selling it. Well, you know, it's not cheap, so there could be that. Yeah. But, you know, you can't buy a, a good Ultrabook is still in that price range when you load it up. Yeah. You know, i7, half terabyte SSD, you know, 8 or 16 gigs of RAM, like that's the price point. Yep. And, it, and the reality yeah, is the- most people don't need that version of the Pro 3. 
right? We're, it's only programming geeks that want an i7 and that much memory. You should be able to, you should, you've got to look at the ones that are dialed back a bit. Yeah, for ordinary people, if you just want to run Word or whatnot, I mean, you, maybe you don't even need a pro except for not knowing the future of the RT line. Yeah, but, if you're worried about the pro line, you should really worry about the RT yeah. line. But, you know, we have a new, yeah. Microsoft has a new CEO now. Maybe he doesn't, isn't as concerned about hardware because Microsoft making hardware, especially computers, has been a serious conflict all along. You know, what does that say to Dell and Hewlett Packard and Asus and all these guys when Microsoft makes hardware? Well, competing with partners is a common thread no matter what the product is we're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, it's hard sometimes to uh, figure out because it's not, uh, people talk about turning the battleship, but uh, I'm reminded of Brian Noyes' uh, analogy. He says an airplane is one big piece of equipment, but a helicopter is, you know, 10,000 pieces of equipment flying in formation. Right. <laughs> and I think Microsoft is much more a helicopter than it is an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it isn't their core competency. I always appreciated the idea that the Surface was raising the bar. Here's the minimum bar for a computer. The problem is who wants to buy the minimum bar? But the non-techies I know who either own Surfaces or who've had their hands on mine, they say, in the words of my non-technical daughter, this is the iPad I want. Right. Yeah, if only Office <laughs> would get its act together to make a great tablet version of Office. Yes, because mm. that's, as I say, when I get the pen out is when I'm, I don't have my docking station, and maybe I don't even have the keyboard attached, and yet I suddenly find that I want to interact with a document in some way. I'm using the pen as a mouse substitute. Right. As a stylus. That's fair. All right, I, I do want to jump back to the C++ conversation, because I thought we had an interesting point right at the break. This idea of C++ developers using other people's code sort of opens the door to a whole conversation around open source and C++, too. Ooh. What a great repository of other people's code. And there's more than you'd think. The C++ team did some studies of the sorts of places you might go, whether that's you know GitHub, SourceForge, whatever. And they said, what languages are represented here? And they found an incredible quantity of C++ code. Incredible. I would not have expected it at all. I would have thought it would have been way down the line. And the things that are happening... you discoverability is a problem right but once you discover them like oh my goodness the things that can be done uh, we had lightning talks at the conference and one guy was doing circuit simulations and he did it, it as all this matrix multiplication and eigenvalues and things that were triggering neurons i hadn't used in 30 years and he did it all with libraries that he found you know in various open source places to do matrix calculations to do uh, electrical engineering calculations, and he just wrote the stuff around the front of it to give a UI to it. The problem is that, that places like SourceForge and, and and SourceForge should be the first place I'd look. It's the older open source repository. If it's going to be anywhere, it'd be there. They don't filter by language. No, they had to actually, I believe, you know, go click on links and I presume they paid an intern, right, to take notes, but they <laughs> worked out what the percentages were of all the different things that they could have got. And in some ways, maybe you don't need to filter by language. We've got lots of ways to do interlanguage calls. And if someone's written a great thing for recognizing faces in photographs, what do you care what they wrote it in? Mm -hmm. But right. there's a little bit of pride. And frankly, it's easier for me to call C++ from C++ than to try to call JavaScript from C++. Yeah. Well, and, and it's no different than C-sharp developers hanging out on GitHub wanting C-sharp libraries. They're not really looking for Java libraries. Right. And it, actually, but, I, I but, don't buy into the... 
ability to call between managed code and unmanaged code at all. That's really hard stuff. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it depends what you're doing. If you want to pass a lot of information back and forth, it's hard. That's for sure. But if you just want to make a call and then get back maybe a number, or in the case of the face recognition library that someone showed me, it actually leaves little JPEGs in a, you tell it where, you, so you pass in two strings. One's the path to a file and the other's the path to where to put the pictures. And it makes little JPEGs of the faces and leaves them there. Well, that's easy enough to do from C Sharp to make that as a P invoke call, right? And then go right. look in the folder later. So those kind of calls are easy, but you're right. If you want to marshal over a big complicated data structure, um, chances are you're going to have to get your hands pretty darn grubby. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I think that's part of this whole challenge is just is maybe we need a, uh, a space that's specifically about C++ open source libraries. Although when I went, I just went to SourceForge and put C++ in the search terms, and a lot of smart people are making projects that have C++ in the name. Mm. Smart, smart. Yeah, that's well, a the, good idea. The other thing that's happening, if you look at C++ 11 and 14 and 17, when we decided to, hey, let's start changing the standard once again after a really long time of not, a lot of that stuff came from Boost. What's Boost? It was either li Boost is this enormous library that makes C++ better. And people people proved concepts. So there were smart pointers in Boost. There were any number of weird little helpers, for example, to make something non-copyable. Back before C++ 11, if you wanted to prevent someone from making a copy of your um, class of objects that were instances of that class, what you do is take your copy constructor and make it private. And then any code that tried to copy the object would get a compiler error because it was trying to call a private function. Right. But that's, that's really strange, okay? I don't want you to copy me, so I'm going to write the code for copying me. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot sure. of sense. Sure. Right? Like, so there would always be comments in front of it that said, no, actually, no one's ever going to call this. I'm don't just putting it here to do prevent it. <laughs> right. So uh, Boost had this class called non-copyable, which basically implemented that for you hidden. And then when you didn't want your class to have its instances to be copied, you inherited from Boost non-copyable. And that was like words that a human could read and say, oh, this class is non-copyable. Because right. we already use is for inheritance. Like, this is great. So Boost is full of that sort of thing that either makes your code more readable or lets you pull off some clever magic tricks with the compiler. And a lot of the things that were in the Boost libraries came into the standard library. And some things that were in the Boost libraries, the folks said, if we change the language, we can get this capability in the language. So that's what happened with Lambdas. So Boost has been this marvelous proving ground for that kind of thought experiment. Hey, uh, Kate, let's, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to throw a little practical C++ into this show. Um, for, <laughs> for our non-C++ managed code developers out there who may have done C++ in college, but it's been a long time and now are maybe afraid to go back there. Um, every once in a while, I think I even asked you this every once in a while, I'll get some unmanaged C plus plus that I want to compile as managed C plus plus. And of course, if you're not a C plus plus programmer, you'll quickly be lost in that, uh, morass. So is it, are there any guidelines that you can give us for doing that? You know, things to watch out for things that will, to look for that will automatically tell you, nope, that can't be done, or 
Yeah, that possibly could be. Well, it is smart to think before you do it, because in terms of what the compiler will do, you can take any C++ code ever, and I dug some out from the days of 386 assembly, and it will compile as C++ CLI and produce a managed assembly that will interop with C-sharp or whatever. It's just that that might be an insanely stupid thing to do. Yeah. This being C++, the compiler's like, oh, is that what you want to do? Excellent. That would be great. Right. Because managed code isn't slow. I mean, when we talk about C++ being faster, it's not because managed code runs slowly. Managed code runs fast. But crossing the managed-unmanaged boundary is slow. And so if that code that you're thinking of compiling to C++ CLI makes a lot of calls to stuff in the standard library, which will be unmanaged, you could be paying uh, that transition, that thunking cost, many, 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 many times. So here's, so here's the typical I, scenario, right? Like, um, and this happened to me, and I think I even reached out to you on this. You get some code that needs to run in WPF, right? It, it's using an API that you want to use, and it's obviously unmanaged, but you want to call it from, uh, you know, you want to call it from WPF. So, uh, right. you know, at what point do you look at it and say, that is, that shouldn't be done? I mean, it, you know, it, it has to be done at a certain point, right? Right. So what I do is I'll, I'll literally draw a diagram and I'll draw this big line that represents the managed, unmanaged border. Yeah. And obviously that far API, that windows something or another that you're going to call, that's on the native side. And, you know, your C-sharp GUI is on the managed side. And then I'll try to figure out where to put things so that the fewest possible arrows yeah. between boxes cross that border. Chunky, not chatty. Ideally, chunky, not chatty. So I want to make one call into the native world, and then the native world can chit-chat, chit-chat, chit to that API all it wants, and then one answer back, as opposed to 10 or 20 pieces of call going back and forth across that border. And usually and that's, that's not the really case, what right? You want to minimize. Because if typically if you've yeah. got something that's C++ unmanaged, you're probably talking to something that's spitting out data at a regular interval, and you're going to have to, yes. you want to access that data at a regular interval. So you may just put a wrapper around it, and that's usually what I end up doing. I say, okay, we'll put a, a C++ CLI wrapper that there's only one call in. It says, you know, do your stuff. And then the 20 different calls that need to be made to all the different pieces of native code can be done from, uh, from there right. and not be crossing that boundary all the time. So it's a challenge and you, it usually involves a whiteboard or a pen and paper because there's no, you can't trust a machine to help you work it out. And what if you have a machine that's spinning out data like every 10 milliseconds or something like that, and you need to turn those into events. Like, you need that real-time feedback in the managed world. I mean, it's really going to be that. Want, you, yeah, you can raise those events still. I mean, I, I finished a project a little while ago where we had a WPF app with a C-sharp front end and a native C++ back end and a C++ CLI sitting in between. And the back end was uh, reading a named pipe and getting data from running instances of a, another application. Mm. And the GUI's job was to graph uh, how quickly that numbers were coming back from that other guy. Mm -hmm. And basically you just, if I'm going to make six calls, make them all in native and give the answer back. Don't sit in managed and yeah. make those six calls and then do the manipulation. Right. So you're just moving things back and forth across the boundary. And remember, you're not trying to get the best performance ever in the history of time. You're trying to get performance that's good enough for your scenario. Sure. Yeah. You're just trying to figure out what's actually sufficient. 
You know, it suddenly hits me talking about these patterns for, for back-end services stuff. Async and await, which has made doing asynchronous coding so painless for C-sharp. What's the equivalent in C++? Because that used to be where the threaders lived. No, threads and locks is, is not for regular people any more than new and delete is for regular people. <laughs> uh, it's just not right. Just don't do it. There's a lot if of, you have any questions about this, don't do it. There's a whole lot of don't do it in this show. <laughs> well, you know, it's back to that thing about I'm the real tough guy and I'm going to go write my own JSON parser or I'm going to manage my own memory. No, you're not, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a solved problem. Yeah. Stop it. So if you're typing new or delete in a C++ application, you're doing it wrong. You should mm. not be doing that. Uh, you should be uh, using uh, shared pointers and unique pointers, or you can go ahead and take the address of things. That's cool. But I mean, in terms of allocating on the heap, uh, that's not something you should do anymore. Mm -hmm. Make shared will call new for you. Make unique will call new for you. But if you're uh, working on something that has a performance requirement, then you need to get up close and personal with a profiler like from day one. So that right. you understand where you're, where you're losing your performance and where you're not. If you're working on something that doesn't have a performance requirement, you just think it might, then you can wait until you think you have a problem. And when it comes to threading, threads and locks, it's too low level. So I've been using the PPL, the Parallel Patterns Library, which is basically like the TPL in .NET. And there's work underway on basically async and await and futures, it's called, in a future version of C++. Nice. And there's uh I, I've always had the sense that the TPL was more of a C++ land than it was for for C# -sharp. Um I liked it but I don't know how many people picked it up. I think async and await made the real big difference for everybody. That's for yes. sure. Just but then you still get people who are like, well I'll just call await on everything and I'll just write the same kind of code that I used to write before. Yeah, I wonder why it didn't have any benefit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> exactly. other than making your code undebuggable. <laughs> No benefit. That's yeah. right. No benefit and a big cost. Where they're like, ah, I don't get it. I can't find a synchronous version of this API to call. So I guess I'll just call the async one and wait for it right here until it's done. Hey, oh, but, that's hey good. but hey, I did it myself. I didn't need anybody else to <laughs> do it for me. There's that. I There's screwed that. it up, but at least I did it myself. So, you yeah, know, skill, skills matter. It does matter that you know what you're doing and you understand the keywords that you're using and the consequence of using them. And maybe that's the problem with the TPL. I mean, I always, we did a bunch of shows on it. I always had a lot of respect for it, but I just didn't seem to get any adoption. One of the knocks on C++, which is becoming less and less true, but people like to say it, is that, you know, it's not newbie-friendly at all. It's newbie-hostile no. because it wants to be expert-friendly. Well, and it was written by a bunch of experts, no two ways about it. And that's, that's always a right. problem. And as C-sharp goes through from one, two, three, four, five, it is now being written by experts. Yeah. And so you have to watch for the same problem of being expert-friendly because the people who are reviewing the specs are all like, yeah, this makes perfect sense to me and I would never use this wrong. Excellent. <laughs> nice. Well, we get further and further away from what the field is doing in development. Yes. And, and I, I really think know, that's part of our role. Circling back to the conference you were just involved in, like that was about yanking the guys who are figuring this stuff out back to what we're actually doing in the field. Yes, and meeting people who, who write real programs all day. They come in in the morning and they open up a C++ compiler and they don't close that until they go home. And right. 
the questions they brought to the experts, in some cases, the experts were kind of back on their heels like, oh, huh, hmm, that was really great to see, really great to see. Yeah. Because that connection, that's what's going to make a language that's at least usable at a variety of different skill levels and a, in a variety of different domains. And power, yeah, just powerful thinking all around. I mean, this is, a, I think, a problem that Microsoft has always battled. They're mostly C++ developers who build operating systems, languages, and high-end tools for other apps to run on. They yes. don't actually build line-of-business apps. Well, when they do have a line of business apps to build, I don't have any proof of this, but it sure feels like they give it to the most junior new people they can find. Like, hey, we're going to need a mail app for Windows 8. So you've been here a week. How about you write that? We've been, we've been talking about that, you know. The newbies always get the bad jobs. Yeah. And those are and sometimes so the most important. Yeah, because it, first of all, it shows and when you ask people what they think of Windows 8 and they start telling you how long it takes the Skype app to come up or whatever, but also they're not they're missing an opportunity for their language designers and high-powered architects to see their stuff come down all the way to the front line. Kate, is there any uh, uh resources or things that you want to point people to or anything that you want to push or plug or we well, uh, everybody should go to cppcon.org and follow the links from there to their YouTube channel where they're putting up the videos uh, from the conference. Wow. You know, you don't, don't have to watch. There's going to be hundreds, like literally over a hundred. You can't watch them all. If you watch two a week, it'll take you a year. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, watch, watch the one from the, the video game guy and watch the one from the guy who's trying to control the Mars rover. And, you know, the best practices talk by Herb Sutter and see how different uh, C++ can be, not just today and yesterday, but two different todays, because the, the Mars guy uses an entirely different kind of C++ than the video games guy who is entirely different from Herb Sutter, you know? Mm -hmm. And to see that variety, it makes you realize that you don't necessarily know what the heck C++ is anymore, and yeah. that means it may not be right to dismiss it. All right, Kate. It's been great talking to you, as always. My brain hurts a little bit, but it feels good. It feels good when it stops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.